Welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 32. Welcome to That's a Wrap. We are in episode number 32. Craziness. How are you guys doing today? Hey. Great. Great. Uh, I am Eric Marshall. And I am Nick Schlegel. And I am Chris Gullen. All right. And we're three guys with PhDs who like to talk about film and media and stuff. How are you guys doing, Doctors Schlegel and Gullen? Doing really well now that um, the snow has eased up. <laughs> good, good. This is the part of the show, for those of you who are new, where we just chat for a minute. We're going to talk about Chris Nolan today. Um, we've all seen Interstellar. We're going to talk about that and just Chris Nolan's career in general. Um, but before that, we just kind of catch up with each other and see what's going on and talk about current events or whatever. So, um, so snow is let up in the Northeast? For now, um, <laughs> you know, it, we we had some record snowfalls this year. I mean, uh, 90 inches or near record, 90 inches in Boston. And uh, right now outside my townhouse, there's probably about an eight foot pile of snow that they just sort of shoved into the woods. And uh, yeah, it's 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 been crazy. But we've had we've had some we've had some fun last weekend. I spent in Cambridge with some of my students and I was walking through Cambridge and the snow, there was so much snow that the sidewalks were only one person wide. So it, you had to think ahead. And if you saw somebody, you had to jump into a doorway and let them pass you uh, because there was so much snow. It was, it was, it was like walking through uh, uh, parting the, parting the Red Sea there. Uh, <laughs> literally. It really, that's exactly the only way I can, I can describe it. But the Red Sea with a very narrow walkway. Well, you know when they're dumping snow into the Boston Harbor there, that the Boston uh, Snow Party. Yes, the Boston Snow mm-hmm. Party. That it's pretty dire. It really has been uh, quite quite a thing. I mean, there was a uh, two weeks ago when they were still trying to clean it up in Boston. The the uh, the mayor of Boston came out and kind of chastised people because. There was so much snow that people were jumping out of their apartment windows into the snowbanks. Oh, so yeah, yeah, these are not really a good reflection on on uh, Bostonians. But uh, yeah, they you know you have people in like six floor apartment buildings, and they like, hey, you know, got snow two feet below me, so they just jump in. And yeah, it was all over the internet. There was another video that I posted on Facebook of a guy snowboarding down uh, like Boylston Street Jeez. in well, you, Boston. Like, you think like. Um... <laughs> ridiculousness or uh tosh point oh would probably yeah park their cars there with their cameras waiting for something stupid to happen that was pretty much it and you know that was that was that was pretty much it i mean there was um there were cars that were completely you could barely tell they were cars uh, because they were so enveloped in snow so it's yeah it's, uh, the, it's the been quite the winter well you know it's been quite the the climate in general the last few years, hasn't it? It sure has. So those scientists, I mean, they're right. <laughs> science. 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 <laughs> what does science know? You seen any good movies lately, Chris? Oh, um, I've been doing some 
research on some articles and I've been doing a lot of um, television uh, and doing more internet type stuff. Uh, I did watch uh, most of the Oscar films of which I agreed with a lot of the uh, uh, a lot of the nominations uh, and, and awards. I'm sorry, awards. And um, yeah, I, I, so Birdman was absolutely uh, phenomenal. I loved Whiplash, especially being in band. Mm-hmm. Um, so Whiplash was was wonderful. Selma was fantastic. So so I tried to see a lot of the nominees, and they were they were really really good. Looking forward to seeing Citizen Four. That's what I'm going to watch this weekend. Yeah, the documentary winner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I want to see that too. Me too. How about you, Nick? Um, very few. Well. Well, to 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 Eric's question, I'm always watching good movies. The question is whether or not it's uh, they're they're contemporary, right? And so uh, I've only I only saw one I don't know one or two maybe of the Oscar. I saw I saw Birdman and one of the other ones. Um, I was really really sort of nonplussed with the Academy Awards, though it was it to me it was one of the I mean everybody always says how boring it is and how this I don't know I mean I've been watching since I was five years old. And yeah, sure they're boring, but I never, I you know, given our passions, I never found them really that boring. I always, by God, I was dying from boredom in this one. It just seemed, you know, it was one of the most vanilla. Uh, and I watched it from beginning to end. It's just even even the parts where I normally get choked up, like for example, the in memoriam service section. You know, it was like I don't know they photoshopped it. You know, rather than showing. They would take like an image and like, you know, pastel it or something like that. And it just took me out of it, you know, altogether. Normally, like like when TCM does it, the TCM remembers, they have these fantastic six, seven minute, eight minute montages where they take dialogue from the people or, you know, from the movies. And that was lame. And I just, I don't know. I just thought the whole night was so lame. And I wasn't really connected to any of the films. The film that I enjoyed the most this year wasn't nominated. And, uh, and and Birdman, I'm I'm a big fan of, but the thing is, is I wanted Michael Keaton to win, and it's like the only dude who didn't win for Birdman, right. you know. And it was like, I mean, you you could even see him putting away his Oscar speech uh, when the camera lingered on him, and I was like, my heart broke. I'm like, you're giving you're giving like the dude that drove people to set an Academy Award for that movie, and you're not going to give one to, to Michael Keaton. So that was my take on the evening. I. Kind of just nonplussed. Oh, they were yeah. one of the worst Oscars I've ever seen. The highlight of the night was was Lady Gaga's tribute to. Oh, uh, that was great. Sound of music. Oh, we, we're we're going to see her and Tony Bennett this summer here in uh, Tanglewood, and uh, we're really excited. But boy, that was fantastic. That was yeah. the only good thing about it. The rest of the show was horrible. Patrick I, Harris sucked. Yeah, you know, I don't think. I mean, I thought he was like. Um, a very new. He was as like, about as vanilla as the the evening in general. I I uh, I have to agree with you. I, I thought that uh, Gaga just nailed it. You know, she had to step into some big shoes there, and she, I thought she just absolutely nailed it. I, it's funny because I just I had went the couple nights before to the Redford Theater to go see um, Victor Victoria with my friend Stephanie, uh, which is a film I love with with Julie Andrews and one that really showcases her singing. Oh yeah. And, uh, and so to, it was a surprise to me when she came out. Um, and I thought, yeah, Gaga just nailed it. Uh, that was one of the highlights. Um, I also thought that the Jack Black interruption in the beginning was, was funny. And I enjoyed that too, for calling Hollywood sort of lame. 
in many ways. But one of the interesting things was James Gunn took exception to that the next day on, I think, Facebook and, and defended his career uh, and, and rightly so and how he operated from very low budget horror movies to a film that like, you know, destroyed box office, you know, Guardians. And I, I really enjoyed what he had to say. Uh, but I think they're both right. That's the thing is that I think like that uh, it was a funny interruption from Jack Black to talk about sort of the staleness and the sort of like um, broken approach of the blockbuster method of the prequel, the, the sequel trilogy, fran- rebooting of franchises when they're five years old, as well as somebody who's saying, you know, just because we're working within comic books doesn't mean that we can't craft a good narrative and develop character and story at the same time. So, um I guess about it, Chris. I think between Gaga and Jack Black's little interruption, I thought those were the most exciting parts. What about you, Eric? Well, um, I agree with almost everything you're saying. To be honest <laughs> with you, I, um, you know, the word nonplussed used yes. to mean it used to mean that you were really like disturbed or disrupted or excited by something. Oh, I didn't and, know that. And that's the traditional meaning of that word. And a long time, about a year ago, I looked it up because somebody was using it the way that you, you're using it to mean like kind of like, oh, whatever, you know. And the official definition of that word now encompasses both meanings. The oh, meaning interesting. of being completely unaffected and the meaning of being completely affected. And, <laughs> and I don't know that's how funny. a word, you know, because of popular usage, and I don't know how a word can switch meaning to the exact opposite but still be held because like the, i think that it was the dictionary that said the dictionary.com or something that says like it's basically both it's it's one thing and the exact opposite of that thing well that <laughs> so happened to literally literally was so misused that they that they had to wind they they had to change the uh the meaning of literal literally to include not literally because of the ignorance of the population yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm holding, on, I'm holding on to literally though. Yeah, I want to <laughs> hold on to it too, you know. But yeah. uh, there but are the, a lot uh, of people. but yeah, but the Oscars. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. <laughs> um, yeah, I agree with you. The Jack Black thing was funny. Lady Gaga, holy moly, can she sing? That was a, that was wonderful. And we had just watched this on the music a couple weeks ago, so it was pretty fresh in my mind. And mm. um, wow! And then when Julie Andrews came out, that was fantastic. They're re-releasing but, Sound of Music in theaters in April. Oh, are they really? Good. It's yes, they are for the for the fiftieth anniversary. Beautifully restored films out there. Oh, that's great. Um, Can't wait. So, so that yeah, that was great. Otherwise, yeah. I mean, my problem with this year's Oscars personally was that I hadn't I hadn't seen a lot of the movies. You know, you guys know that I usually try to see as many as possible yeah. of the movies. And this year, I think I'd seen two or three, maybe, of the Best Picture nominees and a couple others. Uh, I still have not seen Birdman, for example. Um, I saw Boyhood and Love. Yes, I, yeah. I have not seen Boyhood, and I've I've actually heard from several. It it it's a one or the other. They are either really impressed, or they're just uh, nonplussed. I had one friend who really actively disliked it, and I'm surprised. It was Don, who loves Linkletter, so I was kind of really shocked by that. He did not like it. He did not mm-hmm. at all. I thought it was great. I thought it was really good. I thought it was a good experiment, and I think it was well realized. Um, I don't know if it's a, if it's a, I don't know if it's his best work or not, but it's it was really really good. I really I, I enjoyed it. So, 
There's that. I liked Chris's use of nonplus there. Very good, Chris. I wanted to recognize that. I would like to have an addendum, if I may, quickly here, which is um, in class last couple of days. There was a lot of talk about the Oscars and and a lot uh, and some of the the political sort of political uh, aspects of it. And so I I shared with them my knowledge and history of the Oscars, which is you know pretty substantial. And I was explaining to them that it's, it's definitely nothing new. If anything, it's become you know less commonplace than it used to be. And pointed out the 70s as being sort of like the pinnacle for it. And then they asked me what I thought about, you know, some of the, the comments that were made. And I said, I'm off. I said, look, I'm of two, two mindsets with the mic at Oscars. I said, I'm 50% in the camp of if you've got something to say um, and you've got that mic and 100 million people listening, go big, or go, go big or go home. Say it and get it off your chest and and be happy about it. Although in today's world, that means you're going to have to live with it for a couple of weeks while everybody in the world registers their opinion about it. Um, you know, in a way that then is amplified as news. Uh, and, and so that's 50% of me. The other 50% is always sort of taken Patty Chayefsky's stance on it. And so I showed a couple of classes, the, the clip in 78, when he came out and kind of just uh, really burned Lin, uh, uh, Vanessa Redgrave. And uh, I will put a link to this on the website so you guys can see it if you don't know it. He comes out and basically says, look, this isn't a pivotal moment in history. A simple thank you would suffice. And I'm tired of people exploiting the occasion of the Academy Awards for the propagation of their own per- personal political propaganda. And I'm like, absolutely. This is Patty Chayefsky, you know. I think Patty was of the, the mindset that if you want to say something, you say it through art. You know, you write network or you write the hospital or you write Marty. You write you because that has the ability to last and transform. Whereas uh, a single moment at the mic could be well forgotten a couple of weeks later and doesn't really affect anybody. But writing a great novel, writing a great movie, so on and so forth, it's a bit, you know, then you're you're putting some effort into it than just saying something at the mic. So I've always been like directly down the middle. I'm like, go for it or, or do it in a different way. So I, I don't know. They made so much news of it afterwards. And I was like, come on, people. This is nothing new. Like Sasheen Littlefeather told the Academy to kiss her ass when, she, <laughs> when Brando said, sorry, don't want, your, uh, don't want your Oscar. You know, I mean, now that's a headline. You know, uh, Patricia Arquette saying, you know, it's time for, you know, equity in, in um, salaries. You know, yeah, well, that's a big yeah, of course. You know why are they politicizing that? The following, yeah, I don't understand. Are you talking about Nick the with Vanessa Redgrave, the Palestinian, and yeah, when she yeah, basically Zionist. called him a bunch of Zionist, like Zionist yeah. hoodlums or Zionist thugs or something like that? Yeah, but there at that point there had already been like a long, a good five or six years of everybody kind of like registering some sort of opinion as, as they grabbed their Oscar, you know. Right. And so Patty had said he'd had enough of it. I haven't had enough of it. I could care less if you want to say something, say. It. But his point to of like you know maybe you ought to say it, mediate it into art is is probably a better way of doing it. I still remember when Michael Moore uh, slammed George Bush at the twenty oh three oh three Oscars. Shame on you, <laughs> shame on you, George. We live in fictitious times. The fictitious president, and there were people who were who were booing him. And then you, there was a shot of in that. Um, Scorsese just sort of sitting there smiling. I like those. Uh, Michael Moore. I like those too. Michael Moore got booed for that. And then Steve Martin, I think, was hosting. Who was hosting? Was it Steve Martin? That sounds about right. It was it's Steve Martin said, or Billy Crystal, one of the two. I think it was Steve Martin. And he said, oh, well, they're helping. He says, like, someone, they're helping him into his limousine now, you know, like the limousine liberal, which I thought was. <laughs> that's, 
which I thought I'd see Martin's part was kind of a jerk joke, you know. But then Errol Morris said the same thing when he won for documentary and did not get booed. So he, but, he said know, it differently, though. That was the thing. Exactly. Morris said, "Let's exactly. not go down that rabbit hole again." Exactly. And and uh, rather than like p- pointing his finger at the camera, going "Shame on you!" I mean, yeah. So Morris did it in a more classy way, I think. Right, and Michael Moore is Michael Moore. So you know, yeah. But I mean, what would people rather hear? Just a bunch of lists of names that you don't know. You know, I want to thank my cat and my mom and my aunt and my <laughs> uncle and my aunt. Whatever. I don't care about your agent, you know? So, but. Call your parents. Call your mother. <laughs> so you're saying, Nick, um, maybe <clears throat> Pusha Sharkett should make a movie about wage equality, right? <laughs> Is that the one of the other options? My thought was, yeah, why not? Why doesn't she sort yeah. of like, um, if she feels that strongly about it? And of course, what woman doesn't feel strongly about it? What man doesn't feel strongly about it? Oh, here's I mean, another thing. That, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I mean, but it, I bet you no one's criticizing the guy. Uh, I don't. I don't even know the. I don't even know the musicians' names who won for Selma. No one's saying, well, they shouldn't be using this uh, as a... As a <laughs> no, absolutely you know? not. And, and, and that's the sad thing about it was that Patricia had, had to reap the whirlwind of, of accusations and commentary for the, remain, for the following week yeah. over saying something that to me was a great big fat vitamin duh. Well, of course, we're all, we'd like to see that. And I think we're getting closer, but we still, we're still not there yet. There's work yeah. left to be done. And yet they're calling around, and I'm like, come on, seriously? Yeah. It's like there's people that just exist to, to do that on a daily basis, to, to stir shit yeah. and stir the pot and that's cause internet, problems. That's what the internet's for. Conversely, yeah. conversely I, uh, last year I heard somebody criticize Matthew McConaughey for not mentioning AIDS. Yeah, you know, because the movie was right. about AIDS, you know, HIV. So, you know, you know. I mean, there's no winning scenario. No winning, you know? All right, all right, all right. Right. Um, yeah, so as far as I'm concerned, since we're doing pickup still, um yeah, I saw Boyhood, I told you about that. What else have I seen lately? I don't know. But um I do have uh some interesting news. I was uh, a guest on the Dime for Scale Movie Club podcast. And mm-hmm. I'll put I'll put a link in the show notes um at that's a rap show dot com, uh, where you can always find show notes for this for this podcast. But um, it's a it's a pretty cool podcast. It's kind of uh, comedy focused, a lot of joking around, stuff like that. And it's a weekly podcast uh, where they pick either obscure or weird or bad or funny, whatever kind of different movies. And uh, I we talked about Oh Brother Where Art Thou, the Coen Brothers movie, mm-hmm. and uh, that that came out this week. And I put a link. It was it was a lot of fun to record, and uh, it was uh, it's a it was it's a pretty good episode. It's a lot of fun. I think it's worth listening to. So I put a, I'd love to listen to it. Yeah, and I'll put a link in the show notes to it for the Dime for Scale Great. Movie Club. I just want to give a shout out to Neil who organizes that thing and everything. So, so that was fun. That was exciting. Otherwise, well done. Uh, yeah. Otherwise, not a whole lot going on here, um, movie wise or otherwise. Uh, I let listen, since listeners have been hearing about my book for the past, I don't know, year at least. Um, the artwork's out for it now, and it's in production. So I will also include that at the at the website if it's all right with you guys. Absolutely. Uh, it's a little self, self-promotion, yeah. uh, get the word out on that. Cause that's, that's looking, we're like, I think we're looking at a late spring publication of that. Cool. Put it on Facebook as well. On the, we'll do. Absolutely. On the Facebook page for that's a wrap. We'll do. Which people can find by searching Facebook for that's a wrap. <laughs> it's up there somewhere. I don't know. I think we linked to it on the website actually. <laughs> I 
think. I would so. be curious to see my my only problem with Birdman and this uh no no spoilers Eric. No no worries. Thanks. Is I'm I'm not a big fan of the um minimalist percussive score. Uh it was um I thought it was really effective in places and then like really overstated in others and it kind of like took brought me out of the movie. How did you feel about it, Chris? I loved it. I, I I did. I I think that because it establishes that rhythm and the pattern, um, it helps kind of early on bring a frenetic pace to the film mm-hmm. that exemplifies what live theater is all about. And I think that if I could try and put a sound, if someone were to say, well, "What's it like to be in live theater?" and if I were to try and describe it. And put a, a sound to it. Um, that would that score would be the sound that I would put to it. So and I, 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 agree I liked with it. You. I agree with you. The problem was is that it sort of like bled over into narrative sequences are away from the theater, uh-huh. uh, and I found it to be too intrusive and it little. It sort of like sutured me out of the film uh, because I thought that the composer's job. It was a it was an overstatement of their role in certain scenes because it was annoying, and if I'm being annoyed be- with the film because of uh, a far too intrusive non diegetic element, then we got a problem. So, right, right. I see. That. I can see that. That's a yeah. that's a fair that's a fair argument. Eric, you'll just have to let us know when you see it. <laughs> sure. sure. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's, yep. it's yep. high on the list, so I'll have to see it sometime soon. Are we ready to talk about Chris Nolan? Yeah. We've been ready. Let's We've do this thing. Principal photography. We're talking about Christopher Nolan today. Uh, we're going to talk about in- Interstellar and uh, Nolan's career in general, kind of like the same way we did with uh, the Wes Anderson episode or the Woody Allen episode. It's a whole principal photography dedicated just to that topic. So, and it's a big topic, without question. Absolutely. Yeah. So, should we do it backwards? Should we do it forward? Should we do some of it slow and some of it fast? <laughs> Should uh, we do it with a fox? Should we do it in a box? Should we do a it in a dream? I would, I would think perhaps chronologically would, would would work best with Nolan because that's how his his personality started to emerge, I think, in his work was over time and slowly. True. <laughs> do you hear the skepticism in my voice? <laughs> no, we can do whatever. I was just I was making a joke about Memento and and uh, Interstellar. That's all I was doing. So I don't care how we do it. Um, Very self reflexive of you, Eric. Yes, yes. Well, everybody knows um, you know Christopher Nolan from you know the the Dark Knight trilogy, from Inception, Interstellar, uh, Memento, and then um, the the movies that I tend to forget. Of his are uh, the uh, 
What's the magic one? See, I can't remember the name of it now. Prestige. prestige. The Prestige yeah. and um, the Insomnia. Uh, Insomnia. I think, to me, those are the ones that I kind of forget when I think about Nolan. Um, mm-hmm. Possibly because they're just – because they're uh, traditional narratives, uh, unlike right. all of the other ones I just mentioned, which uh, are very – you know, interestingly, interesting, narratively speaking, I, I guess, for lack of a better term at the moment. Um, well, the Dark Knight but, trilogy is pretty much of a traditional narrative. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah, I, I, You know, I forget about that, too. He's For some reason, the Dark Knight trilogy also does not come straight to mind for Nolan, you know, for me, even though it's the first thing I mentioned. But, but then I go, oh, yeah, he did the Dark Knight trilogy, too. So well, <laughs> we can start however you want. Um, we've all seen Interstellar most recently, I suppose, since this is his most recent film. Um, I haven't, I haven't rewatched anything for this episode, so I'm going to go strictly from memory. But I've seen most of his movies more than once, uh, so it should be, I think, should be fine, as I'm sure both of you probably have as well. So we can, we can go chronologically if we want, or we can start with Interstellar and then go chronologically, or just see how it goes. I thought maybe we just talk about Nolan in general and then bring up films. Yeah, as they pertain to our discussion, I, I thought I like that idea. Yeah, me too. So, well, we all know him from all those movies I mentioned, and you know he's one of those directors I think that does a good job of balancing the uh, the kind of guaranteed blockbuster of like a Batman with some of the things that are, I guess, more experimental. But he does a good job of doing the experimental stuff in a way that makes his producers happy <laughs> by making money and lots of it, you know. Sure. Um I don't think there are a lot of directors that that can do that on a regular basis. He's one of uh the very, very few in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Couldn't agree more, Eric. I think that's one of the reasons we're drawn to do a podcast about him is that Nolan is is one of the real sort of cinema auteurs of the I think of the twenty first century in that um I, I see in his work uh, – I mean he's – I know he's he's uh, mentioned many times um, some of his, his um, influences. And, and I see two influ- – I, I, I see in his work a lot of Ridley Scott and a lot of Stanley Kubrick and, sort of combined with his own sensibility. And his ability to deliver um, you know, these, 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 uh, these really thoughtful, very well-researched – screenplays and then load them into the a, a broader you know like we talked about a blockbuster um package packaging um is is a great example of how you can make commercial cinema that is yet still very um uh, representative i think of the of 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 the auteur theory of of a guy who's consistently seems to be working with the same themes and the same motifs, uh, the same obsessions, the same crew, the same actors, the same composer, uh, uniformly throughout a you know t- ten to fifteen year period, and uh, meet with a lot of critical and commercial success. And I mean, I, I, it's like you know a Chris Nolan film these days, you know, when you see one. Not so much, yeah, I, I agree with you with things like Insomnia, which I just watched last week for the first time for the show. I never saw the following. I have to admit, um, that's one I don't know. But I mean, there's definitely something to be said for the work when he was, as you guys said, working in a more sort of t- a genre template. 
like a, a mainstream adaptation of something like Insomnia, as opposed to when he's written a script like Inception or Interstellar, for example, or taken over a franchise like in Batman. Nick, I'll, I, I couldn't agree more, and I'll, I'll actually take your comment and take it one step further. I think the reason why we love Nolan is because of what we do. Nolan is a director that appeals to academics. Mm. He appeals to intellectuals. He deals with things like existentialism, uh, epistemological themes, mazes, paradoxes, time, uh, all of these uh, interesting things in his work. And he really appeals nicely to um, people like us, academics who study film, who love clever manipulations of narrative. And he does that very well. And I think the fact that he does it and he packages it a blockbuster is nonwithstanding. Um, If if other people see – his work and he's a blockbuster, then then great. That's fine. I have no problem with that. But uh, I think ultimately the reason I like his work, uh, and I mean I think his, his representations of Batman are my favorite because of the fact that he takes a very serious, well-thought-out intellectual approach to it. I mean he hired um, – I think Kip Thorne was the name of the astrophysicist from right. Caltech – yeah, from for 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 Interstellar, and Kip Thorne actually went on to write a book called The Science of Interstellar, right? Which uh, I just ordered from Amazon um, because I have a you know I have a bachelor's degree in engineering, so Interstellar and old Nolan's work, but especially Interstellar, really brought out the the engineering nerd in me um, and made me think about when I was studying physics, and I just I I, I ate it up because um, of the kind of work that he does. If if a professor is looking at the intersection of like uh, critical cultural theory and pop culture, they easily can grab in, uh, many different Nolan films and and use them as examples to a class to get them on board with some of the thoughts. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you guys completely. Uh, he did this interesting thing after Interstellar. He did uh, he edited an entire issue of Wired magazine, hmm. and he talks about Kip Thorne. I think there's an interview with him in there, and it's really it's really interesting because it talks about the science of Interstellar and a lot of like kind of behind the scenes. Stuff, I subscribed you know? to Wired, and I actually read that interview. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. It's so good. And he talks one of the things he talks about that I really love. He talks about. Um, 3D film and how he doesn't like 3D film and I agree with him I think you guys probably agree as well oh yeah for the most part and he says something that I've always thought in a way which is that you know films already in three dimensions you have the you know the the traditional two dimensions um, that we're familiar with and then time time is the third dimension of film and I I really like that quote because I've always kind of thought the same thing because that's that's what makes film special um, among a lot of the like recorded visual arts is that it, that it, it incorporates time, and he does a really good job in Interstellar as well as in other things like Inception of right. of using time as a, a kind of a dramatic tool in a way, and it it really uh, I think it really works. I think it's a great quote. You know, it's it, there's already a third dimension. So. Yeah, I could, you know, absolutely. I, I think for me personally, um, you know, if I was to, well, we've, we've, we've already done some, some top five episodes and, and, and we all agree in our top, we put together a top 10 list 
we read quickly through the first you know five through ten through six but we all had um I think we all had Eric. You had. I had. Chris, did you have? Yeah, did you have Nolan in your top ten? I for the don't new, new millennium. Think so? No, but I. I mean, he'd be in the top twenty, um, especially like the press. Let's see what year was the Prestige? Uh, yeah, the Prestige would be up there, and the Dark, the Prestige, and the Dark Knight would probably be my two favorites. And Interstellar is pretty much tied with the number two. I just find him such an, an, an interesting. Uh, he writes, I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he writes with his brother uh, Jonathan, I think, or he has two yeah. siblings. But I think he writes, and I, I know, I think I've heard some things attributed to that. You know, um, they're they're a wonderful team uh, that um, Jonathan and and his and and um, Christopher come together with all these great ideas and and breathe them in, into to life. And but I I love I love. Um, Nolan's conviction that he will never write down to an audience that he he assumes that um, we're not stupid and that you know and, and and bothers to create these very often complex narratives. Interstellar is not easy to follow. I mean, people have put together three D timelines for people to follow, and and certainly Inception, uh, though not difficult to follow, was an incredibly complex narrative with its sort of story within a story within a story within a story uh, template. Um, and I often felt that he elevated the superhero film way above and got it singing in a very high register and sort of laid a lot of the groundwork for some of the really excellent superhero stuff to come after uh, The Dark Knight. And I think we'll have a good discussion a little bit later on on The Dark Knight trilogy and, and his contributions and can share some of our thoughts on it. But uh, Do you guys want to talk specifically about about interstellar yeah for sure (laughs) i think we can all agree that the movie was was very good and that it definitely deserved the best visual effects oscars uh oscar um some of the, the the plot devices i thought felt at times a little bit contrived um for the sake of the narrative as well as like some of the some of the dialogue especially at the beginning but um i over overall i was impressed at how he was able to um w- pull the story off without it going down the road and and i remember uh talking to nick well before i saw interstellar and i had somebody describe it to me this way um of corniness i think that if he wasn't careful it could have been corny um the whole idea of going you know going through the time the 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 space time continuum and the um the sphere that you know the that is a wormhole i i and, and gargantua the the uh, the black hole i think it could have been i think it could have been corny and i there were certain like i said just put certain little plot contrivances that i i didn't really care for but um, you know i remember when you said that i said to you this isn't like um i i i don't starship troopers <laughs> well no no I, I i don't remember what i said I, but you know it's like the the word like corny is not really an adjective that i would associate with chris nolan you know um corny is you know schmaltzy over sentimentalic or you know i mean it's like 
that's I I felt that I mean he's basically treading 2001 territory here. So it, when you start, when somebody like a, a, a friend of yours says it's it, bordering on oh, oh it wasn't a friend it was just a, a conversation in passing it, oh the, yeah no, I mean, that's, yeah, that's like friend. that's like them them's fighting words you know it's because it's um you know i mean i guess you could say that about almost any film you know my my darling clementine you know if if uh if there had been a couple extra sagebrush running through there it might have been corny i mean so it's like you know you can say <laughs> anything can be corny you can support- right right um I, i'm specifically i guess the thing that really bothered me about it was when McConaughey's character finds this this NASA bunker and you know Michael Caine says oh we're with we're with NASA and we want you to go yeah I I, I don't have a that that particular especially those lines of dialogue I'm sorry no 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 offense to 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 the the church of Nolan but I thought that was corny that that was just really wow how convenient is that convenient far better word than corny I think convenient convenient Um, how convenient is it that they ask Rocky if he wants to fight Apollo Creed you know (laughs) (laughs) without that there's no Rocky versus Interstellar uh, right, 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 right. So McConaughey doesn't go. There's no talk film. About a plot point, and plot points may not be the well, the most researched thing in the world. Frodo's got to get that ring to Mordor, right? Uh, how convenient is it that it landed in Bilbo's hands? You know what I mean? Like so. So, so we're not allowed to attack plot points, though. I mean, we're allowed to attack them, but to attack them for being convenient is like, I mean, this isn't a Deus Ex Machina or whatever. It's, this is this is to get things going. So. To say that it's uh, convenient, I'd agree with. To say that it might be corny is, again, that's a value judgment that I think is stupid. That's corny that, I mean, we can bring up any major plot point in the film and say, well, how convenient and corny is that, that Apollo Creed needed to fight somebody and they picked this Southpaw. Uh, well, okay, yeah, but but to I guess to counter your your, your comment there, yeah, Apollo Creed, they, 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 they picked him, but he he falls into the at just the right time. I, I mean, we're sending you up tomorrow. You know, in two days, you got to go say goodbye to your well, family. That's just it. Come Eric, on, help me out here. Isn't that because of the the sort of like uh, the circular narrative that he's creating all that? He's the one that sends back the points that sends him to NASA in the first place. Right, right. So it is it is circular, and he's essentially he is essentially communicating from the from the future. Yes, that I that I get. But um, well, then it I, is convenient because he's telling himself to go there. So, <laughs> so, I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah it's, I, it's, it's, it's I, I see what you're saying. I, think well, the I, I do. I do agree with Chris in the sense that, like, when I was watching, it's like, well, it's weird that NASA would be there in that place where he was. You know what I mean? But like right. you said, Nick, he was telling himself to go there, and I don't think that. I don't think. Chris, I don't think you're arguing that it's that the movie is corny. I think oh, you're just no, saying no, that, not at all. That, no, not at all. That it, it strains credulity a little bit in that particular uh, moment, which you know is right. fine. I mean, I, if if we want to talk about flaws in the film, I would talk about some of the dialogue towards the end. Um, <laughs> yeah, which all of which comes back later. And is important, but right. you know when when the, they're talking about you know love and time, and it's all about you know that whole you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, I do, this is, but I don't. I never put yeah. much stock in dialogue. It's just people interacting. I always felt that plot and, and you know story plot, theme, thematic treatment, um, and the sort of grandiosity of this of the um, 
concept here trumps yeah. any sort oh, sure. of mi- yeah. minor, you know, peccadillos we have over over plot points or dialogue though. Yeah. I don't think dialogue is minor though. Um I I think dialogue is so important, especially in a film like Interstellar. When I think the dialogue is fine throughout the whole film, maybe a couple of scenes that are maybe, you know, but you're gonna, you gonna you want to say that the dialogue in Interstellar is off for you or or what? Because that was Eric's point. That was my I, point. I, it was, uh, mentioned in, a little teeny bit. Yeah, yeah. I thought the dialogue at the very beginning and the very end was did not work for me. I it just didn't work. Yeah, you know who I love though is the robots. Oh, brilliant! Oh, the robots were wonderful. <laughs> They're so funny. It's so good, you know. Very old school, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, he just wanted them to be sort of functional, you know, obelisks, basically, and that's yeah. What he got, you know, he didn't want. I love the way they ran. Yeah, it was very cool. The, the way they ran was great. Yeah, <laughs> it's so great. But, <laughs> I agree completely. I, 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 getting I can, back to trying yeah. to sort of like repair some of the uh, the things here that I think maybe I can make an argument for is just. I don't know. I don't think the film was, you know, I think what it was, a, what it was a, about and intended to be about, it delivered in a way that, frankly, I've never seen before. And I think that's really important, much more important than where NASA is or maybe some clunky dialogue. Yeah, I think that's what Chris was saying, too, though, that, you know, it's it's overall the, the conceptually the movie works, but it does have these moments, you know, I mean, right. it could... Yeah, I, the, I don't want to. I don't want to nitpick it because really, I love the film. I thought it was really great. It's, it was an incredible experience. You know, I saw it. Nick, you and I both saw it at the same theater at the this huge IMAX in Dearborn, Michigan. It's you know two stories tall and it's got the whole IMAX surround thing going on. And oh my gosh, it was intense. You know, you know. But there are moments where, like you know, the the scene, the Matt Damon scene. You know, where I don't know. As soon as they land, you kind of know something's off. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, you kind of know. You kind of know what's going on the second they land within maybe within a few minutes of dialogue, but that draws out for kind of a long time, you know that yeah. that before they get to his actual betrayal and all that. And again, who cares? I guess right. But you know, if you're gonna make a two and a half tighter. hour film, it could be tighter. Exactly. Um, but you know what I think works with Nolan in general, and this this film is no exception. Is he's got the science in this case. He's got the crazy concept, you know of different timelines and you know time going slower or faster which is something we can all kind of relate to just on a personal level in a a certain way um like you know one one scene that strikes me is which probably struck everybody and we're we might be getting into spoiler territory here a little bit but um when they land on that one planet and they're supposed to spend like just a few minutes because a few minutes down there is like seven years up there on, on the ship and they mess up and they're there for what, how long was it like 40 years or something like that 28 years I 20 years. 28 years, years okay and just be for them it was an hour and for the guy up in the in the plane or in the ship it was a plane in the ship it was 28 years and when they get back and the look on his face oh my god and yeah. he's like that was yeah, that 20. moment's incredible and, and and i guess i guess uh for me I can't think of a moment. I can't think of a cinema going experience, maybe other than gravity and a part of Tree of Life, 
but that's three films out of thousands that I've seen over what 44 years. Um, I can't think of a, of a time I spent in the theater that made me feel more small yet such a part of everything at the same time. Yeah. Then well, that's a very that. nice way of saying it, Nick, really right. nice way of saying it. So small and insignificant yet, but just part of this, this, this universe really. And, it, that, especially in IMAX, is a feeling that, you know, I don't think anything but cinema can deliver to us. And in particular, certain directors have a real proclivity towards this. And Nolan is one of them, you know? He just is. Yeah, and I think I, the reason I think that is, I, I have a theory about, I mean, it's not a theory, but I think that the reason I think it works, this is the, the point I was going to make, was that I think that even though he's got this high concept, very confusing uh, film, films, I think this works for a lot of his films, is that ultimately he's writing from a, from a kind of a, oh, a human standpoint, you know, cause it's, the film is not about space and time and wormholes and gravity. The, the film's about grief and loss yeah. and yearning and, and that's what comes through, you know. And I think Matthew McConaughey does a great job of conveying that through his acting, but you know, a lot of its direction. And I think it's true of Inception. That's true of Memento. All of his films that have these weird concepts that you have to kind of, you know, struggle a little bit to understand. A lot more than you have to struggle to understand, like Iron Man or something. Um, you know, they <laughs> right. They work because they've got this real human element underneath that's driving the plot. What's driving it is, you know, um, McConaughey's character's desire to, you know, to get back to where he needs to be and to to see his daughter and all that stuff. You know, and that's why I think it works really well. Yes, and it, not only that, Eric, but you, you put your finger on another really integral part of, of Nolan's ethos as a screenwriter, which is he does all that that you just said, and then he puts the characters into, into a position where they have to make a, a moral decision. And you see that yeah. in the Batman films, you see it in Inception, and you see it in Interstellar in very huge ways. In fact, you know that, that that's that's one of the ways in which you can structure a screenplay. Is it is it uh, objective based or is it uh, is it decision based? And a lot of the times in Nolan's films, the 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 people, not only the protagonists but others, are put into positions where they have to make these massive decisions. And the question of like their whether they're letting uh, biases cloud their judgment or whether they're letting the, the sheer logic of the situation dictate their actions. You see that particularly in The Dark Knight. You see it in, in Dark Knight Rises. You see it in big time in uh, Inception, and in huge ways with multiple characters in in Interstellar. Both oh, yeah. Hathaway oh, yeah. and McConaughey's character are being put in these positions where they have to make decisions, and they're keeping information from each other. I mean, there's a great, this great shit, you know? I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah, and they're keeping information from themselves in some ways too. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of emotional stuff going on with with uh, Interstellar. It's played up almost. I mean, it's pretty explicit, you know. Are you doing this because of emotion or logic? You know, mm -hmm. is it love? Is it cold logic? Is it you know, and all that stuff? There's a explicit dichotomy in Interstellar, but you do wonder a lot of times, you know, why why are these characters doing this? Are they even aware of why they're doing it? And is it the right thing to do? 
right? And as a viewer, you have to struggle with all that. So yeah, I think you're right, Nick. I think that's that's right on, and that's that's why his movies work uh, to to a large extent, in my opinion. That's why I think audiences are drawn to them despite their complexities. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some people are drawn to them because of their complexities, but I think you're right, Chris. Most people are drawn in spite of, you know. Like you, the three of us, we like the complexities. We like that science stuff, and we like thinking about dreams and narrative and, you know, <laughs> and all that stuff. Right. But, you know, there's also that, that other thing going on because, you know, I've seen a lot of films in my life that you know, deal with time travel and, uh, you know, science fiction-y stuff that just fall completely, absolutely flat, right? So uh, Nolan's films do not do that for me uh, for the most yeah, part. Yeah, time travel has been one of those – it's one of those tropes that's been played out so many different ways um, that trying to put a new twist on it is – very very difficult to to make it original to make it interesting to make it not defy science at one point kip thorne was saying in his interview that he uh him and nolan were arguing because nolan wanted the characters in interstellar to travel faster than the speed of light he's like no no that's not gonna happen they'd be they'd be vaporized that they they couldn't judge they just couldn't do it um so so uh yeah yeah, time travel is just—it's a—it's a toughie. Yeah, it's and, a toughie. He—he uh, he did it, I think, in Interstellar, very, uh, very elegantly. Yeah. Have you guys seen? Uh, speaking, of, I'm, I'm going to go on a very small tangent um, about time travel movies. Have you seen Primer? Shane Carruth's Primer from 2004. No. That's another film that I think does time travel really well, but it's extremely confusing. I've seen it twice, three times, and I, I still don't really understand it, but it's super low-tech, super low-budget, but it's this incredible uh, time travel story. That's another one I think really does a... I'll put a link in the show notes, but I think it's another one that does, does a good um, job of is, that. Uh, was it uh, Upstream? Um, upstream up, Color. Upstream yeah. Color, is that it? Yeah, that's Synchro's second uh second. Doesn't feature. that have to do with some complex timelines too, or no? You know, that suffers from the uh second movie syndrome. Ah. You know what I mean? Uh a lot of really promising directors have these really awful second movies. <laughs> I, I shouldn't say that. A lot of people like Upstream Color. I didn't I didn't understand Upstream Color at all. I didn't really okay. get it. I mean maybe, I maybe seen it. that might be more uh you know, kind of says more about me than, than, than the movie and maybe I should rewatch it, but um after loving primer I I, I, uh, I don't know. Maybe I'll revisit it someday. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say about Upstream Color. Okay. So, but um it's just another one of those weird movies I think that was time travel, right? You know? And uh you know, uh Back to the Future two mm-hmm. all that stuff in the future takes place in two thousand fifteen. Fifteen, yes. yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah, yeah, where's our hoverboards, damn it. Yeah, exactly. We should do a uh, flying we, cars. We should do an episode uh, about Back to the Future, actually. That would actually be a lot of fun. That would. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, sorry. <laughs> That's a total no, tangent. It's all, it's all good. And uh, I apologize. You know, it might be a good point to, to – but I know. that. I mean, to sort of like summarize Interstellar uh, while still being spoiler sensitive, um, I love the casting. Uh, I love the concept. I love the direction. I love, you know, the not just the casting, but the actors in those roles. I thought were fantastic, uh, and I love that it it did what cinema at its very best does better than anything, which was completely transport you to another world. When I got out of the theater after traveling, you know, to another galaxy, I was like, 
you know, I was, I was kind of, my head was spinning. I felt like I was still in the movie. Um, and I mean, talk about climaxes. I mean, that one just built to a fantastic climax and the idea of, you know, the, the, that spinning everything to the matching the, the revolutions and that whole, and, and then of course, um, you know, I don't want to get anything away, but like just sort of the way the film ended and then it's nice little sort of denouement, which felt maybe a little, you know, a little, a little too, uh, uncharacteristically Nolan and tying some things up, but it was all right. I thought it was, it, it worked really yes. well. And the, it, it does have an ending that is not, uh, it's not am, am, ambiguous, but you, he doesn't have to actually show what happens next. We get an idea. And I just thought, man, what a film. Like clearly that was the one film I would have liked to have seen among the best, best picture nominees because I'd never seen a film like that before. And I was incredibly blown away by it. Yeah. Same here. I left too. Like the first thing you do when you leave the theater is like look up into the sky, right? Yeah. And it was daytime for me, but yeah, I look up like, wow, man, what's up there? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. And who's up there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I, I, what do you think, Chris? Good. You you agree? I mean, Nick and I agree that it was ex- an excellent film. Oh yeah, yeah. I I I totally agree. I I thought. I mean, like I said, I, I thought everything was was pretty much overall spot on. I I I loved it. I I. Love the science of it. I the special effects were were uh, were gorgeous, and the way he was able to transport you to these planets, and they feel so foreign, right? You you know the yeah. the water the the planet um, which is the, nothing but water. I mean, yeah, it, it, that's it so cool. All feels so foreign, yeah. and he he just does such a good job with that. And I, I thought overall it was a, it was a, it was a wonderful, a wonderful film. Um, I don't, I don't know why it didn't get uh, a best, best picture. Um, I don't, I don't know if I would put it in that category of best picture of the year, but it was certainly way up. It was pretty high up there. I don't really understand how best pictures get chosen anymore. Yeah, you know, I mean, why were there eight? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, in the past, they've <laughs> been know? 10. And yeah, 5, 5, 10. Before. Yeah, I don't even really understand all that, to be honest with you. But everybody knew it was going to be Birdman or Boyhood, so it didn't really matter. <laughs> but, you know, but, um, yeah. I don't know. Wes Anderson was looking pretty excited. <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> Nobody thought that. Well, whatever. So, anyway, <laughs> I don't want to get into that. I don't want to get into that. I don't I just had to get that. But you know, but you know, speaking of Wes Anderson, you know, Nick mentioned early on that um, Nolan's one of the you know 21st century auteurs, and you know, I, I was th- I've been thinking about that since you mentioned that, Nick, and I'm thinking like when I think of auteurs, like of uh, 21st century auteurs, Nolan comes to mind, Tarantino, Wes Anderson, the Coen Brothers, like there are there are some there are, there are several right, but you know, Nolan is I think the one that it, he's pretty consistent. Consistent you know, was the in, word I was going to use too. Yeah. Um, uh, and, you know, and, and he really does sort of have that, that troop that he put, puts together. Michael Caine yeah. in his films, whether it's a small role like in Inception or a much larger role in Batman or his, you know, he had a really important role in this film because he knew he was sending them all away. You know, he knew I mean, the, the great lie of his life. Oh my gosh. Ugh. That was so fucking yeah. intense. Yeah. That part was such a huge reveal, you know, when he's dying and that confession, and he's like, that deathbed confession. That deathbed confession yeah. was just Did you guys not see dude. that coming? What's that? Did you see that coming? 
that they, def- they hint at it here yeah. and there, but I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't really put it all together. I was too yeah. busy, too distracted by the film, you know? Yeah. Yeah. When he, I, I saw that coming, but I, I don't think I realized like the extent of how, just how conscious he was of it. Cause I had, yeah, like you said, they hint at it, but no, you're right. Michael Caine in his, well, Michael Caine in anything, really. In anything. <laughs> you know, I think I one mean. of Michael Caine's <laughs> finest performances in any of the films is definitely, or, and it is in his career is in Dark Knight Rises, but I'll save that for later. Okay, because right. I know you have a an argument to make about the Dark Knight Rises. So. I do. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can go there now if you want. I don't really have, I don't really know where to go from here. There's so much to, there's, you know, there's so much to talk about. I've got some thoughts, but we can, we can move to the Dark Knight series if you like. Yeah, let's go there. Because for me that it, it's kind of an outlier in a way, you know, because like I, the, the following was, um, I, I did see that a long time ago after Memento came out, and you know it's a fine film. It's not there's nothing stunning about it. You know, Memento for me is really his like first film. You know, in a lot of ways, um, and it messes with your mind a lot. Memento does, yeah. you, you know, and you know, going back to that whole idea of yearning and and loss, you know that that's what that film is about. You know, memento is it's just ugh you know um the prestige kind of messes you with your mind a little bit right um great way yeah yeah you know inception and interstellar of course but um the dark knight is very different the dark knight series is uh is very different in 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 a lot of ways because it's a it's you know everyone knows batman everybody knows the story Right, and I agree with Chris. It's the best Batman out there. It's the best Batman feature length films mm-hmm. by far that I've seen. You know that I think most people would agree with that. He's he's done a great job, and I I do not um, envy anybody who makes a Batman film from this <laughs> from from here on out. You know, yeah. um, most people I think consider the Dark Knight to be the the kind of pinnacle of of that series. But Nick, you have a different view on that yeah i you know i'm i'm a i'm a big fan of all three i like uh batman begins i thought was a wonderful you know rebooting enough years had gone by and the previous franchise suffered from multiple visions multiple directors multiple different actors playing batman um and it had gotten sort of to the um uh, they had sort of, you know, they gotten to a campy level, um, and I don't mean that in the pejorative way. I mean it was very obviously sort of campy, you know, particularly the one with uh, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger as Mister Freeze, one with Schwarzenegger and Uma Thurman, which whatever, 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 whatever one that was. Mm-hmm. I don't remember which one it was. Yeah, me neither. Um, you know, Mister Freeze and uh, the, not the Riddler one with Val Kilmer. Who knows, right? It's hard to keep track of those because they became progressively sort of inferior. And I was never a huge fan of the Burton ones either. You know, I I I, I thought Anton First's art direction was the most interesting thing in the first two Batman films. Um, but I I enjoyed them nonetheless. But uh, I guess when when Nolan got a hold of it, you know, it was such an interesting reboot, and he had brought in multiple. Uh, storylines from multiple, from like the Batman comic books and detective comic books, you know, the two major sources of Batman stories. And he had sort of woven them into, and, and brought in interesting villains in particular. Scarecrow was a nice touch. 
um, and and Ra's al Ghul. It was you know because I have all the the Neil Adams issues that dealt with Talia and, and Ra's al Ghul. So I loved it. And then the Dark Knight, um, you know, I didn't I didn't I liked it a lot. I didn't go as cuckoo for it as as, as everybody else, but I thought it was an extraordinary film. But for me, I guess the argument I'm trying to make here is uh, I think that The Dark Knight Rises is the best of the three. And you, the three of us had this conversation over beers just before we started this podcast. And I wish I had remembered a lot of stuff I said that day. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> frankly, I Well, we, we were at the bar <laughs> and it was two years ago. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> We're at the so, Whole Foods bar. Yeah, that's that's how we drink up here in the That's a Wrap, uh, you know, world. We we drink at Whole Foods. That's that's how we roll. <laughs> I guess what I, the, you know, so wow. If I was going to make an argument for it before we just talk about the whole Batman universe, uh, Nolan's version of it, I guess I would say the following about The Dark Knight Rises. I know there are people out there that probably agree with me, but for me. It seems to me, and I made some bullet points here, there's some things that what I loved about it right from the get-go was sort of its all-encompassing fingers in the pots, basically. It, it, it was juggling a lot of contemporaneous issues in the way that the other films did not. So, you know, it had, um, uh, it had all, all these things going on. It had, like, you know, Bruce Wayne coming out of retirement with a broken body for one that's a big deal right there he's sort of like in retirement reclusive doesn't do anything anymore you know wayne industries is bankrupt um you have like multiple other sort of like converging uh societal issues going on things like clean energy independence with the nuclear reactor and the reason that that was there in the first place you have like uh, martial law terrorism hostage things going on you have the breaking down of a society on this basic sort of like municipal level you know with gotham being sort of completely going into a permanent winter you know it's incredible you have the idea of Ra's al Ghul and the you know the reckoning and the cleansing, the the purifying of Gotham, re- resurrected from the first episode. You've got all these great major characters have like their made all of their character arcs come come to uh, a wonderful conclusion with Alfred, with uh, um, with uh, Garrett, you know uh, Commissioner Wayne, uh, Commissioner um, uh, Gordon. Gordon, thank you. With Bruce Wayne, with Selena Kyle, with John Blake, you know who be, who's who's set up to be Robin. Um, uh, you you have sort of all of these wonderful threads that are sort of like working really well. You, I was totally suckered in by the whole you know Talia thing, and like I said, I had the original the original Neil Adams Batman comics. Yeah, I was, I was I still too. Didn't see yeah, that same here. I know, I know. Obvious. That. I'm like, I'm, you, you idiot. Yeah. You know, I mean, I have artwork. I've commissioned artwork of that character in the past, and I didn't see it. Even Matthew Modine has a great arc in that film too. Um, and 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 <clears throat> one of my favorite Gary Oldman moments is when he chooses death over exile. Remember that? And then and then Killian Murphy goes, "Well, it'll be death by exile." <laughs> okay, so so Nick, I'm going to read. Else chose exile. Nick, I'm gonna like, rein you. Death, only like honorable I'm gonna, man. I'm gonna rein you in a little bit. We all agree it's a good movie. Why is it the best movie? Uh, that's the why, because none of those films even sort of attempt to juggle all of that and then throw into it Anne Hathaway, 
Um, and sort of her portrayal, I mean, the film really clearly belongs to her in a way that like, you know, is, is very obvious. Her Mm -hmm. acting in it is outstanding. The look on her face when she betrays, uh, Batman and then finds out seconds later that it's also Bruce Wayne because, you know, um, Bane says, Mr. Wayne, he calls him and she's like, oh shit, that's, that's him. That's Bruce Wayne is Batman. I love that fight sequence too. It's so utterly realistic. There's not a stitch of music, not even a note of music. And he gives him uh, that line when he goes, when they first start fighting and Bruce's punches aren't doing much to him. And he goes, victory has defeated you. <laughs> what a great <laughs> line that is. Victory has defeated you. I mean, he clearly doesn't have it anymore, at least not that point in the film. So when you take the idea that like all the, not to mention Alfred's greatest moment is in it too, when he confesses that, um, you know, when he, he breaks up with, with Bruce I mean, everybody had a lump in their throat in that scene. It's it's actually one of the most. He's like, suppose uh, uh, someone was to burn that letter, you know, to spare your feelings. <laughs> I mm-hmm. love that. It's just incredible stuff. So if we want, if if you want to know, want to rein me in and say like, why is it the best? It's because no film has as many moments, as many characters, as many things that are being juggled. And yet, I feel pull it all off in a way that felt really relevant too, and and sort of like, so it, it attempted to do more, and for me, it succeeded, and provided the absolute perfect bookend to the first opening frames of Batman Begins ten years ago. You know, it sort of just it, it tied it all up beautifully, but without any sort of like over sentimentality, without getting overly preachy um it just felt like a crescendo and in a way that the other two films didn't chris very eloquent and well said nick i like all three films equally um i love the characterization and the characters in the dark knight i think the Joker is probably one of my favorite or Heath Ledger's Joker is probably one of my favorite antagonists of the last 20 years. He his his gleeful, sinister evil is just wonderful. It's just delicious how how bad this guy is. Um, I, I, I love it. Um, the thing that the Dark Knight especially and I think that the Dark Knight Rises and Batman Begins to a less, but definitely The Dark Knight really showed um, Nolan's – and Nick, you're going to get mad at me – but his his ineptitude at editing together action sequences. Um, uh. The chase sequences in The Dark Knight especially are atrocious. They're laughable. Um, the editing is so poor, he throws out the 180-degree rule. He breaks all matter of continuity um, it, to a point where it's not even it's not even done well. It, it, it's it's inelegant. He just throws things in. He hopes that people won't notice because he's blowing shit up. That that's really kind of like what what, what bothers me about um, especially the Dark Knight, but 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 how how some of his films of have uh, have been edited. Uh, however, that said, 
I love the mu- I love the score. Love, love, love the music. And I love his Batman. It's 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 dark. It's serious. It's a wonderful approach to the character. The, his character arc, like you said. I mean, I don't want, I don't want to repeat everything you said, but I I pretty much agree with you that the arcs are uh, are absolutely outstanding. I loved Bane as well. Bane 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 and Scarecrow were great. Just great great antagonists. The Joker it was was absolutely it for me when he just you know when Heath Ledger the Joker says, you know I I just do things I mean I I la- and, that and line that is my problem with the Dark Knight was that um not problem sorry contextually by if we look at like returns excuse me rises versus Dark Knight right. in terms of preference for me if you take away Heath Ledger from the Dark Knight um you you know you you rip a huge amount of the film the antagonist is gone and you know that's may not sound like a fair criticism but i but i beg your indulgence by saying but that's that's what works so well for me about the dark knight rises is because there's so many things going on that the subtraction of something would still nonetheless give you a very full film because he has bane if yeah, you can take Bane, Bane. Away, make Italia, or I mean, yeah, the Scarecrow's back in it, you know, um, or or the Minions of Ra's al Ghul. That's the whole point is that is that the uh, League of Shadows is back. So, yeah, that's that's my point is that I it's see what you're saying. more comp- it's it's just so comprehensive, I think, in its coverage. Heath Ledger. I know it's not a fair thing to say. Yeah, take him out of the Dark Knight and it fails. Well, duh, of course it would fail. You've, you've just ripped. 60% of the movie out of it, but it, it's dependent upon him. Uh, I, I thought that the recasting of, um, with what's her face, Gyllenhaal, uh, yeah, it kind of fell flat for me too, but, um, you don't like Maggie Gyllenhaal. Yeah, but I still think Dark Knight's a hell of a, hell of a great film too, though. Oh, it yeah, is, it hard. is a great film. It's entertaining, but like it's, I said, the editing is atrocious. It's hard to, uh, it's hard to take any of the films individually because there is, you know, there are narrative arcs that go through all three of them, um, right. you know. And I had kind of forgotten that because uh, I hadn't watched Batman Begins. I, I saw Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises, and you know, it, it, there's a lot of years between those movies. And uh, I was teaching a class on uh, comic books and film, and I had my students read Year One, the Batman, the Frank Miller okay. Batman nice Year One. Yeah, and we um, we watched Batman Begins in class, and that's the first time I had seen it in years, and I had forgotten how much I liked Batman Begins. You know, I don't know if I even did like it that much at the beginning. I liked it, you know, just fine, but I liked it a lot more on on reviewing it. You know, and a lot of the stuff in Dark Knight Rises, you know, is closing out the arcs of some of, a lot of yeah. the stuff that happens in in Batman Begins. So it's hard to take any of them by themselves. Uh, that said, I uh, I disagree with, with a lot of what you're saying, Nick. I agree with some. I mean, it's it's a mixed bag because, like the whole thing you said about Talia, I didn't. I I know that story arc as well, and I did not see that coming at all. I just I didn't see it. I didn't um, see it coming either. Yeah, and um, so that was uh, that was interesting. Uh, Bane is an interesting character, but I think all the stuff that the film is juggling makes it weaker, especially trying to take on the kind of uh, Occupy Wall Street kind of, uh, you know, current events kind of thing that that, uh, the film tries to do in the beginning. And then kind of, you could say, turns it on its head. I would say just abandons um, towards the the middle of it. And 
I agree with you about Selena Kyle, about Anne Hathaway, and I think I think I tweeted this when I first saw the movie. I said, you know, the film needs a lot less prison and a lot more Catwoman. You <laughs> yeah. know, like fewer pull ups and sit ups, and and more Catwoman because she really did do she did a great job as Catwoman, and that character is really compelling. But you don't even see her for the middle of the film, and you know, I don't know how much setup we need i get it he's in prison he's doing sit-ups you know this guy that whole thing with him going away well he's got to fix his back right 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 which which you know he does beautifully and within what seems a couple days with a broken back you know but it just that you know the first time you see someone you know he's trying to climb up the climb up that wall and you're like oh my gosh you know like at that moment that he needs to stop trying and he can do it or whatever the whole lesson of that of that part was i just in terms of pacing i thought the the movie fell flat i i um i didn't like <clears throat> like i said i feel like it was beating a dead horse in a certain way it was you know like as as if, you said that chris nolan doesn't what would we say earlier he doesn't talk down to his audiences doesn't write down whatever i felt like in that case right. it was it was over explained it was overdone it would to wait last way too long it took you away from the plot that had built up for the beginning half of the film i think as a film i don't think it holds together narratively as well as possibly the, the previous two i still liked it i still think it's a good film but i i don't um I think the fact that it's juggling so much actually makes it a weaker film instead of a stronger film. I would agree with you if I felt that it juggled it inefficiently or inexpertly. But like, let's talk about the pit for a minute. For me, the pit didn't go on too long because it was intercut with a lot of other parallel action going on in Gotham, um, which also indicates passage of time. So for me, what uh, what worked really well about that, and mind you, I just rewatched Dark Knight Rises today, and I've been watch- and I've probably seen it five or six times altogether. For me, it worked because they stripped they stripped him down to nothing. They took away everything he had and broke his back and threw him in this well. Uh, and I think that's great. Now, as, as to a question of how long has he got to stay down there, or how quickly does he get out of there? I thought it was a good balancing act, simply because, and this would be my counter argument. We get good, good red herring misdirection backstory there about, you know, the fact that Roz, this woman that Roz Al Ghul was with, was cast into that pit and she was yeah. pregnant and gave birth mm-hmm. to Bane. Mm-hmm. And then there was this protector of Bane. Now, the, the little kid is shown to be just with shaved head, so we don't know that. Yeah. Right, right, I, right. I, 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 I'm not saying that, that, scene is not necessary or good i just think that it took up way too much screen time in a film that could have been doing other things better and that's where i think the juggling was ineffective and an expert it's the same yeah, problem it's, I, it's the same it's, problem i have with, with the matt damon scene in interstellar you know it's kind of uh you know we get it chris nolan Let's let's you know move on to something you know well, you could have had more uh, you know Catwoman or you know the other extreme though and say that on his first try he gets out then then people would complain that what the fuck they threw him down there and he just pops out <laughs> of there and there's like yeah. seven hundred people that can't do it either <laughs> I mean but no so- I, yeah no I agree with I, mean, I don't think he should have gone out on the first try but I feel like there's a lot of um, I can't remember the the guy who's talking to him 
right. in the kind of the broken English. At first, he's tra- being translated, Trans- then it's in broken English somehow. Um, uh, y- you know, do we really need all that explained to us? I don't know. Maybe we do. You know, you know what I'm saying? Because well, we had it explained to us, and yet we still were tricked. So that about Talia successful, yeah. But that backstory is Talia's backstory. <laughs> She's the one that climbs out of there. So. Right, 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 right. Like I said, it's not unnecessary. It's just overly long and really detracts, I think, from the rhythm of the movie and from the thrust of the plot. And you're right that it's intercut with Gotham a lot. But even the stuff that's going on in Gotham at that time is, is, I don't know, that whole part of the film, I was just like, okay, well, I, I see what's happening. Can we... You know, kind of, kind of move on a little bit. That's just how I felt with with Dark Knight Rises. I just I didn't, you know, do it's it. Tough. How long should it be? How long does it have to be? How long? Mm-hmm. How long is too yeah. little? I mean, these are mm-hmm. all subjective and hard things to nail down. I think, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm trying to make an argument that it was about right. You felt it was a bit long. Yeah. Um. But even if it's a bit long, I don't know. It's three movies. You know, and and when you said earlier, it's hard to judge them individually. But that's the way critics did, and yeah, yeah, yeah. and so you know, I, and a lot of them were kind of as a trilogy. It's great. It's a little merciless, you know, merciless sometimes on rises, which I uh, and I sort of like uh, harshly so. Yeah, uh, but I liked it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I, you I don't mean, get me wrong. I, you know? I'm just trying to make yeah. an argument why I think it's sort of like the the most uh, uh, sophisticated. No, um, accomplished, I think, is the best word. Uh, oh, okay. Pretty. Uh, but it, it, it's that, that, that whole argument stems on my opinion that everything was juggled expertly. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- there's an equally valid argument to be made that too many chainsaws were being juggled and they got yeah. cut here and there, you know? And it's yeah. like, I can get that too. You know, it, it comes down to, I think, um, I, I I guess I for me it was um, as I said it was Chris a second ago the most accomplished but it uh, it also just felt like the most uh, relevant of the three and I don't mean like the Occupy Wall Street I, I sort of meant like in that it went back to the idea that this secret sect this secret society had been toppling um, societies uh, for. Well, I don't know, fifteen hundred years, two thousand years. Yeah. I forget. And that when when one's grown bloated and de- too decadent, they're there to pull it apart. Yeah, that comes back in the yeah. third film, yeah. and it's not so much a Wall Street Occupy Wall Street mentality as it was uh, of capitalism gone awry. Uh, so, yeah, I like the um, the first and the third really go together well because you know the first movie Batman Begins introduces a lot of this stuff and the and Dark Knight Rises kind of closes out, like I said earlier. And I think you could take The Dark Knight, which I love as a movie. I think it's if if I had to watch one of those movies again, it would be The Dark Knight. I think. But I agree you could, with you on that one. But you could take The Dark Knight out, <laughs> watch one and three, and pretty much get what's going on. Mm-hmm. You'd have, you'd have to, you'd wonder why he's in exile, why he left. But beyond that. <laughs> You could probably do a pretty good job of of just going from one to three and getting the whole, you know, eighty percent of the arc of 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 the trilogy. I think. But again, I do love the Dark Knight as a movie, um, and I just love the way Dark Knight Rises ends too. I thought yeah. what a what a fitting 
uh, end to the film. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that. It's a wonderful ending. I I I agree. It's great. Yeah. yeah. So um, okay, yeah, I think that's good. Did we uh, so. What about you guys want to talk about some of his other films, uh, some of his more kind of conceptually challenging films? I don't know how much we want to delve into, like Inception, for example. Um, I have a few things to say about that, or Memento, yeah, or, or The I'm Prestige. Thing going on, I, I'll, I'll try and get the ball rolling in a, in a sentence or two about Inception, which is, I think, that's where a lot of my objectivity will will you know <laughs> waver because I love Inception. Mm-hmm. I mean, I rated it super, super high on our top. You top rated two. it number one. In fact. There you go. So, yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, I love that movie. So, re- listeners, probably, should, you know, I, I, I will not be much of a critic. I'll be a fan if I talk about that film. Yeah, if you go back to episode twenty-eight, um, you'll see that Nick rated it number one out of ten in, tw- in the twenty-first century, and I, I rated it number eight. So we both had it in our top ten inception. So. <laughs> I so, really liked Inception. Um, I thought it was. It, I thought it was fascinating. Uh, I have to admit, I've only seen it once. I think that I'd like to go and revisit it to get more out of it. I mean, I I, I, I liked it. It didn't. Yeah, you should. <laughs> it didn't blow my mind. I guess uh, it. You know, mm. um, it didn't. It did blow my mind. But I I, I liked. It. I actually liked the Prestige a lot better. That's probably my least favorite of his films. Although I really, yeah, I don't, I don't dislike it. It's just, it's my least favorite. I didn't really, it didn't really grab me for some reason. Yeah, um, I think it's interesting, but I, I don't. That's probably my least favorite too. Yeah. Visually, it's really nice. I really like some of the the visual uh, tricks and stuff on that. You know, my my take on Inception is like when I I saw it in the theater and it, it you know, it, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, my take on it in part is that it's about film, you know, it's about filmmaking. It's a very self-reflexive film in a lot of ways. And, um, and I like that sort of thing, you know, because a lot of it's about, you know, what's real, what's not real. How do we know? Right. But how do we present things to ourselves and to others? Right. Um, and there's this very like, kind of, I think, you know, self-reflexive kind of kind of level. You know, how do we create a world? You know, the whole thing with Ellen Page when you first see her, it's all about set design. You know, and then it's all about narrative design right. and how do we, you know, editing. You know, how do we control time with editing? I think there's a a very, you know, I mean, Chris Nolan loves. He's in love with film as a as an art form, and and we can talk about this later too as a medium. Um, but uh, and I think it comes through in Inception in a lot of ways because it 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 turns back on itself, not just in the dream worlds, but in the idea of storytelling and how do we even tell ourselves stories, which I think is, he's kind of obsessed with in a way. Memento inception, um, interstellar. I'll do this. And I think dark Knight, or the, the, the dark Knight trilogy in a lot, a lot of ways does this as well, where, where the central question is how do we tell our own stories and, and what, to what lengths will we go to deceive ourselves in order to have the narrative outcome that we want? Does that make sense a little bit? Oh, that um, makes perfect sense. Complete agreement with you. We've, yeah. we've had this discussion before. So absolutely. Right. Uh, I think that's very much a part of it. Um, yeah. Now the prestige, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, Chris. Um, I saw like, uh, 
like you with Inception. I saw it once. It was a while ago. I don't remember it probably as well as I might to have a good discussion of it. So maybe I should revisit it because I don't know if it treats the same subjects that I just mentioned or not. Do you, from your memory, does it? Or can you talk about the prestige a little bit? Um. Yeah. I. Th- I think it. It. It definitely touches on those topics. It kind of takes it. I think a step for. I think a, or a step further. I. I like the fact that it was also dealing with these topics in a historical context. Yeah. And I think that Nolan did that really well. I loved the. Uh, not knowing what was real. I mean, the prestige does that nicely. You, you, you don't know what's real and with the, the whole idea of the machine and, and, and Cutter and Angier and this duality of, of who they are. I mean, he, he, he does a lot of that same stuff in the prestige in inception and he cloaks it within this, uh, and do, you know, dual characters and all that. He cloaks it within this kind of framework of historical fiction uh yeah i think part of the reason i also like the prestige goes to the heart of what i like to study i like to study the musical and the precursor to the musical was the road show the circus the magic show about the 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 theatricality of the performance that I always, always love and what I look for in film. And um, they do that so well in The Prestige. Uh, and it, it plays with uh, that period. So that's part of the reason I like it. So maybe, maybe it's not just Nolan. Um, it's the fact that Nolan's subject matter that he addresses. And I, I, I have not read the novel, but I, I own it. I just haven't read it yet. Uh, it's the subject matter that I I, uh, I I like. I think also because of the fact that um, the film features Nikola Tesla. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I, absolutely, I, I adore yeah. Nikola Tesla, especially mm-hmm. as an engineer, because yeah. Tesla was the one who was responsible for the engineering in Edison in so many of the the things in Edison's lab. I mean, yeah. Edison Clay stole so much credit from Tesla, and Tesla really got the shaft. Yeah. In um in his relationship with Edison. So the fact that they feature all of these things wrapped up in Nolan's um uh aesthetic that you were that you really nicely nicely stated about and I I'm kind of bumbling through my description here, but real versus not real. Um that's well, that's probably illusion. the reason I, I mean, like that's it. the thing with prestige, it's about the nature of illusion. Illusion, right. Uh, and um, which is what filmmaking is, right? It's all about illusion. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And um, f- yeah, I, I now it's been same as Eric. I saw Prestige on cable ten years ago or something like that. And everything that you just said, I re- you know, I think I think for me the problem was, if I recall correctly, because again it's been it's been a while. Um, I didn't care much about the characters. I, it, it was. It wasn't. It uh, was a. Um, well, first of all, it, it was. Uh, what's his face? It was uh, Chris, uh, Christian Bale, and because uh, I don't have. And, and, or was it Hugh Jackman and with Hugh Paul, Jackman and, Chris, and Christian Bale, Christian um, Bale, and then and, Kane, of course. Right, and and I didn't. The problem for me, I think, was I. I didn't care much about the characters. 
uh, and but I was attracted to the whole illusion versus reality. And you're 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 you're, you're like, how are these people pulling these things off? And it was very clever. And, um, and I think I remember at the time, I think Zizek had written something very interesting about it. I can't remember. Uh, and of course, there was that competing film that was out with Edward Norton and like Paul Giamatti or something. Wasn't oh it? yes, yes, yes. Um, Don't release two magician films at the same time, people. Um, yeah. Oh, what was? I don't remember the name of it, but I it, don't remember the name either. The now, Illusionist or something, or I don't know what the um, I think it was the Illusionist. Something like that. And I just got confused and, you know, I'm like, too many films about magicians. I'm not interested. <laughs> oh. So it's a timing like, issue. Yeah, I can see that. Issue, um, but, you know, whatever. I mean, that I, uh, I'd, I'd like to revisit it because it's, it's been, what, 10, I'm sure at least 10 years. And, and uh, but interestingly, from around that same time when I watched Insomnia just uh, last week for the first time, Found it to be gripping. I haven't seen the original film. Was it Danish or Dutch or it's Danish, isn't it? It was Norwegian. It was Norwegian. Okay, or um, Swedish. It takes place in Sweden and Norway, mostly in Norway, but I think it's a Norwegian film. It's a Norwegian film. Okay, and um, I didn't see the original. I watched the the, the American remake of it. Uh, obviously, Pacino and Williams are super on top of their game here. the The acting is what makes that film. Uh, so damn good, uh, particularly Pacino. But holy cow, I'm watching the film and I'm looking for Nolan, and he's nowhere. He's he's the, you know the metteur en scène, right? He's the he's the gun for hire on that one, clearly. Uh, and I mean, if we want to get into maybe some of the mm. quantitative aspects of it, yeah. how many shots and what from what angles, and you know how many cuts per per minute, <laughs> sort of like Nolan esque shit going on there, but. Um, yeah, I mean he's he's directing two huge stars uh in an already sort of preloaded narrative and you know he's done he does a remarkably good job but it's not there's nothing really known about the film. Um yeah, there's uh you know there's I I I never thought about this Nick but um the opening shots um of the those close-ups that you don't know what they are until the end. Yes. That and then the scenes in the fog, the the scenes in the fog in Insomnia, and there's a scene in fog in the Prestige that are very similar, Nolan. I think, and like you said, Nolan-esque, you know, in a way. There's some things here and there, mostly cinematography more than anything else, but but yeah, that's interesting because yeah, Insomnia doesn't do a whole lot except yeah, I mean, it, yeah, yeah, it's interesting because and that and the Prestige are both not. He didn't write the original screenplays for either one of those movies, right? So, during his stripes, yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I, I love the original Insomnia. It's still in Skarsgård, mm-hmm. and it's dark, and it's, uh, it's kind of nihilistic in a lot of ways, and uh, it's gritty. And um, the Nolan film is none of those things. <laughs> it's uh, slick, and it's you know, it's very Hollywood in a certain way. Um, I guess it's dark, and, and, and that's for sure. But or I guess it's the opposite of dark because it's set in a. They're both set where it's light all the time. So I guess you know you get what I'm saying though, right? Uh-huh, but right. Um, but even though I feel like the the film, like compared to the original, really took a lot of the what made the original so powerful and just kind of killed it in a very Hollywood way. It's still a very good film on its own, you know. And like you said, uh, Robin Williams in particular, Yikes. I think uh, does such a good job. 
So I agree with you on insomnia. I think some of Robin Williams' best work was was in insomnia and mm-hmm. in one hour photo. One hour photo. Doing, yeah. Oh yeah, doing. I I I love oh, yeah. one of my biggest things is I love seeing comics do very serious roles, yeah. and uh, boy oh boy was he good. Yeah, yeah, I I agree completely. Um, yeah, I think the original's worth worth watching for sure. You know, I I, I just watched side by side with my students. Um, I don't know, a couple weeks ago. And we talked about Side by Side on this podcast back in episode uh, two or three, I think it was. Or was it one? Uh, Anyway, early on. Two or three, yeah. Yeah, I think it's two or three. The one with with Chuck Tryon. And uh, I don't remember if we talked about Chris Nolan when we talked about Side by Side, but he's got – if we – stop me if we have. But – he has a very, very strong view about yes, the role. He's the anti-fincher. Anti <laughs> he's the anti-fincher. He yeah. is very uh, strongly in the camp of using actual film, you know, celluloid, to shoot. Um, what do you? What do you guys? Do you guys have an opinion about that? About him? About his uh, kind of? I do because I mean I screen yeah. that just as often every in every section of intro as well as sections of history. And uh, I, I love Nolan's um, passion for shooting on film, and I love the analogies he employs, and I love his uh, um, his reasoning behind it, and 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 the fact that he laments uh, certain things. And as as I said, you know, way back when, when I thought that Fincher comes across as whining, uh, Nolan comes across as really impassioned, mm-hmm. and and making a plea. I, I love him. I love the comments he makes in that. Hmm. I you know I I don't have anything against his stance about film. You know I don't have anything against Fincher either, though, because I think Fincher has some really really good points to make, and I think the difference between impassioned and whiny might be on the you know on the point of view. But I I find it like when I think about his films, there's definitely a look, you know, to his films, right? To Nolan's films, I'm talking about, and. It must come from the fact that he uses film, I guess, right? But I don't know about you guys. I don't know if I can tell the difference between these days between digital cinematography and and I can't. Don can really well. Someone who's trained can. I can't. Yeah, I, 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 on digital projection in a theater, I don't think I, I don't think I can. I'm just going to admit that right now. I don't think I can. So I don't know how much of a difference it makes. It, in, in some way, you know, but on the other hand, I do, I, I have to admit that Chris Nolan does have, he, not that he has a distinctive style, but his films mm-hmm. have something visually that, that a lot of directors do not have. But so does Fincher, man, right? Well, the, the Fincher comes <laughs> off as whiny, I think, because he's swearing and he's like, he's like really hyperbolic, <laughs> right. you know, like. Yeah, especially towards the end, right? He actually really says like, um. He's like, and then I get into the daily room and I'm like, what the fuck is that? You know, yeah, and I'm like, well, right. then you've got video assist. You should know something about lighting, dickhead. <laughs> you know, it's like, I mean, obviously Nolan's not saying the same type of things. And, you know, and you've been making films longer than he has, not by much. But so yeah. it's just, I don't know. Nolan comes across <laughs> as, uh, I think, more well-reasoned behind what he's trying to say. Yeah. Whereas Fincher is, um, yeah, whiny. And, and yeah. Uh, but I mean, obviously that, the polemic that's framed and staged in that documentary is we, we both agree that there's uh, 
arguments to be made for both sides. Yeah. Um, and I'm clearly see all of the really cogent arguments for digital. And I think there's a world in which both can be embraced, but mm-hmm. that's economics say different. Yeah. And I think Nolan is really concerned with going to digital purely for economics rather as opposed to um, you mean versus Fincher? the the art of it. Pardon me? You mean Fincher? You said uh, someone's going to digital for economics? No, he's he's Nolan is against the idea of going only to d- motivating what you shoot on only for economic purposes oh, right. and not yeah. and not not aesthetic purposes. Right. Yeah. Right, he's concerned about it in in the sense that he doesn't want to do it. Right. Right. Yeah. But he, he also he also knows that he's going to have to at some point. Well, it's just going to get too cost prohibitive. I can see right. him like buying a lab. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, he he's got the he's got the resources. Yeah. Now that you mention it, you know. Yeah, I I could I could I could that's see funny. that happening. That's right. Really you're right. That's a good that's a good Sinkabee? point. Right? Yeah, see, he I could see Sinkaby investing in a lab and then anybody who wants to do and by the way, Chris, if you're listening, you know, like not you Chris, but Chris Nolan. <laughs> oh, okay. Job, so like, you know, uh <laughs> you can set up a lab and and uh and then everybody, every film student, and every professional out there that still wants to make a, sh- a film, you know, bingo. There's there's some money for you. So yeah, no kidding. Good, good business plan <laughs> to me. Yeah, there you <laughs> right. go. But I, I mean, I I think also that you, Nick, you brought up a very good point that it's it's to the point where if you're not someone like Nolan with these unlimited resources, you have to shoot on digital. You know, you you can't afford film labs. I think there's one or two left. There's few labs. The stock itself is fucking expensive. It's a it's an expensive process of making a motion picture. And granted, you could argue that even though we can't necessarily see the difference. (laughs) I'm just thinking, Chris, of that moment in the film itself where Keanu's talking to to uh, who's he talking to at that point? Oh, yeah, I think he's talking to. It's either Fincher or or Lynch, and I think it's Lynch. And he says, "Yeah, I made a film with Richard Linklater called, you know, uh, Scanner Darkly." Yeah. And the, and the other is it Lynch or Fincher? I can't it's remember. Lynch. It's Lynch. Lynch. And Lynch is like, "Oh, right." And he's like, and then Keanu says, "You know, and we and we don't have to stop." And Lynch is like, "Yeah, isn't that great?" And Keanu's like, "I want to stop." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It might have been now. You know what? That might have been Fincher. Right? Now, now I don't remember because I think that's when uh, Fincher started telling that story about was it uh, Robert Downey Jr. Robert who was Jr. peeing in the jars, mason jars, the former. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it might have been then. Uh, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I, I I don't know if that like I I would be interested to see when he does move to digital if he does uh, to see if it makes a lot of difference mm-hmm. um, in in the aesthetics of his uh, of his films. You know, because I don't I don't know if that's an, essential part of the look and you know the aesthetics of his films or not i just don't i just don't know me either man but um i don't know either if if um to to close the book on inception though to go back to that for a minute mm-hmm. um uh because i i obviously i had very little to say other than how much i loved it but for those of you who haven't seen it i think in addition to everything that eric said uh you know, it, it's really one of those films where every unit is like really operating at peak, peak performance here. Like the cinematography is fantastic, the acting's incredible. I mean, really incredible. I mean, Leo is just magnificent in that, as well as the entire ensemble that he tends to work with. Um, so you have the cinematography and the narrative, 
and the actors, uh, the wardrobe, you know, like costumes, makeup, and wardrobe are phenomenal. The art direction, unbelievable in that film. Uh, and, and that, God, that wardrobe, oh my, I, you know, so I, I don't mean to just sort of drool all over the film, but it's a great example of like every, every unit coming together and working just beautifully, you know, absolutely. It's, and it's, so I'm, I'm a huge fan as you, I just want to say that, that may, that's probably my favorite Chris Nolan film. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it's quite good. I, I agree. You know, there's something, you know. I was thinking of a counterpoint to Nolan, you know, because he does these high concept films and all that. Um, I think of like M. Night Shyamalan, who mm-hmm. I think a lot of times, <laughs> right? Like someone who starts with a concept and, you know, he delivered on Sixth Sense, but how many times can you watch The Sixth Sense? Right. You know, it's like, oh, I get it. He's dead the whole time. You know, by the way, he's dead the whole time, everybody. Spoiler. But, um,. You know, where where it's like the the whole movie rests on the twist at the end, where with Nolan, he can he can pull it off time and time again, different concepts, but it's deeper than that. And it's not the entire narrative. I mean, it is, but it's not because the characters drive it, drive it home. I, I, I think that you know, I'm, like, Sham- I'm sorry. I, I was going to I, I, I think that M. Night Shyamalan is a, is a, is actually a good counterpoint because he's he is such a one trick pony, and mm-hmm. he tries so hard to keep it up in his films. Yeah, like that. That where as Nolan, he keeps it going throughout the whole thing, and the ending is just kind of a nice a nice wrap up, like he did with the dark like like what you're saying with the Dark Knight Rises, Nick. Whereas Shyamalan is the exact opposite. He builds it up, and then the ending is just such a huge letdown that you feel pissed off that you've now wasted the last two hours. <laughs> right. I mean, I felt that way with Signs. I felt that way yeah. with The Village. I felt that way with The Happening. Um, well, I've, I mean, I've seen all of M. Night Shyamalan's stuff. And funny enough, I my favorite M. Night Shyamalan film next to The Sixth Sense was his very first film, Wide Awake, which is mm-hmm. it's just this really nice little touching film that has no suspense in it whatsoever it's just kind of a heartwarming thing but he he does that over and over and over again and when was when was the last time m night Shyamalan made a film i mean is he even making films anymore well, he this goes back to something i've said a million times and it's part of who i am as a as a lover of film or a scholar of film and that is the versatility merit, merit badge I, you know, I feel that um the cinema auteurs that i connect with the most are ones that uh, are are brave and willing to work across various genres, you know, yeah. and try on different hats and do different things, and yet still maintain a personality, a strong dominant, you know, uh, signature throughout their work. And you know, you don't with Shyamalan, like you said, he's sort of one tricky. Whereas uh, Nolan has tried on some different hats, you know. Yeah, and, true. And, yeah, that's a really good point. I think as far as auteurs go, like. 21st century auteurs going back to that like there are certain directors whose work i'll see no matter what mm-hmm. um nolan is one of those uh, darren aronofsky right w- was one of those for me and i <laughs> but i haven't seen noah yet i so. did okay and God so. damn it, and i'm here to tell you that it's worth seeing because of aronofsky well, it's gotta be better than the book right 
But um, uh, you know, we'll talk about it after you see it. Okay. Yeah, thanks. Um, anyway, so Dardowski was one of those. And he maybe still is. I just haven't gotten around to Noah yet. Uh, Tarantino's one of those for me. Although he, there was a lull there for a while where I was yeah. starting to lose hope. Right. Um, who else? Uh, Fincher was one of those and for me isn't anymore. Fincher still is for me, although I didn't like Gone Girl. I did not like Gone Girl. You guys know that. I wrote a blog post about it. I'll link to it on the show notes at thatsrapshow.com. But Fincher still is. I'll still see whatever he does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, maybe uh, say, maybe oh, Ryan Johnson. I, I, I'm still on with Ryan Johnson, maybe. But there aren't, I mean, there aren't very many where I was just uncritically like, okay, I'll see what the – oh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. I was gonna say P.T. Anderson, yeah. Wes yeah. Anderson for me. I I I I do like his stuff. Yeah, and ter- same thing with um, Tarantino. Anderson well, don't sure. well don't forget yeah. Woody Allen. I like Zach. Well, I was. That's why I said twenty first. That's why I said twenty first century because Woody oh, Allen, century, obviously right. from yeah. me. Woody Allen definitely. Yeah, I'd say but, Zach yeah. Snyder. I'd throw in there too. Oh, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, um, but not me. Based but. on I think Watchmen and and um, yeah. uh, and his remake of. Um, Oh, sorry. Uh, help me. His remake of Dawn of the Dead and um, 300. And I mean, there's there's been enough visual sort of acuity for me to to mm. be interested in what he's up to, you okay. know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I don't share that view, but I but I do understand it. I definitely understand it. So there there is some out there. Right. But I think Nolan, I mean, is one. I think that if if you learned that Nolan was releasing a film at the end of uh, 2015, you would you'd put it on your schedule. Right. Oh. Big time, yeah. yeah. Uh, Nolan's in my probably my number one spot for for post two thousand directors. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. I you can't think of man? anybody. I can't think of anybody above him. To be honest with you, at this moment, when he makes a film, um, you know, oh, Sam Mendes would also be in there too. I think. I think Paul Thomas Paul Thomas Anderson's probably my number one, but it's it's close. Wouldn't you agree about Sam? Sam Mendes? Yeah. Uh, Particularly with Skyfall and, uh, you know, American American Beauty. Yeah, uh, Revolutionary Road. Revol- yeah, Revolutionary uh, Road. Yeah. I mean, I like, yeah, I like Sam Mendes. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess, yeah, I put him up there. Sure. He's in sure. there. Yeah. Yeah, Linklater's up there for me, too, as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 As far as top, top directors in the millennium? Yeah, I'm just well, talking about like people who started around the beginning around, of the millennium. Yeah, nineties. Yeah. yeah, so I'm not. That's why I excluded Woody Allen because right. just, yeah, because otherwise we could do years. this all day. We could do this all night, <laughs> right? Right. So, yeah, I did have before we sort of bring things to a close. I'm coming. I have to go back to to because it wasn't just Chris that said this. I had heard this from a lot of people. And I'll just try and offer up a, another analogy and, and also try and explain why I think it's, it's, un, it's not a real fair criticism. Um, so we go back to the plot point of uh, Interstellar, the first one. I'm cool with it for the reasons I mentioned earlier, but if, if, and, and I especially mentioned the fact that it, it, has, it, it has its own plausibility and its own raison d'etre, right? Because... Via this binary code in the dust or whatever. I mean, yeah. I forget exactly. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's not as happenstance and coincidental as I think readers of the film thought it was because it has an explanation later in the film. And the only thing that really needs any explanation is not how he gets there. 
that's explained. That's actually over explained. Hmm. It's just whether or not you believe that a group of scientists would have found a place to go in this sort of like ravaged 21st century landscape to talk about how to fix the world or, or leave it. Yeah. And I don't think that's a stretch either. So you might as well just say, oh, isn't it convenient that a tornado came along and took Dorothy to Oz? You know, I mean, it's like it's just not a really that fair of a criticism, I don't think. Yeah, I think in this movie you're right because it's it's. I have to rewatch the movie because I I am wondering if it'll hold up um, on my TV at home as much as it did in the IMAX. I wonder how much of my response to it was, "Wow, look how big it is! It's awesome." Um, I think it will, but I think on a reviewing, I'm, I'm going to pay attention to that because there is this strong sense that everything that's happening is happening because. In the future, he is making it. He and these other people are making well, it happen. So, well, you know, anything could happen if in that in that kind of a world, right? So. Well, all right. Just to, I guess, address your 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 concern. Um, my issue isn't. He finds NASA okay. Yes, it's himself telling his younger previous self to do this or self from the past to do this that fine fine i i i get that they explain it away he goes in to see nasa but at that point when he said oh we're a bunch of nasa scientists and hey you're here you know we're you're here to save the world if you had not and, and then and and, and and mcconaughey's character even asked well what if i hadn't come along right he asked the question that everybody is asking what if i hadn't come along? well we would have gone anyway you just happened to you 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 waltzed into our door here, and we're gonna use you, and you are the perfect guy to save the world. That's what I had the issue with. I'd have to watch it again to see if that has an explanation too, because I probably bet it does. No, yeah, I, I think I you've I seen remember. it more, Chris. I think you've seen it more recently than uh, Nick and I. Oh yeah, um, I, I did see it recently, and I I well, actually he, he intentionally had a life as a test pilot, and and so that makes perfect sense. Um. And you know what I mean? Right. I, he is a he's 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 a test. All right, he's a test pilot. Right, and he was you know, and 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 a NASA engineer type you know guy. He was engineer <laughs> training. That's why they had him do all the farming. He, right. He he was so, in the military, right? Air Force pilot. Right, but he's an engineer, so that's why they're having him like do all that tarot work, basically. And and yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, so so he's eminently qualified to do this thing to lead the mission. So the question of why they were waiting for him, I don't know. I'd have to watch it again. But again, you know, what sort of meteorological events occurred to get Dorothy to Oz? Aren't we asking a bit much? I mean, don't you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit when you go see a movie? You know, come well, on. Yeah, but at the I same mean, token, guy wrote a three-hour fucking movie that like is pretty oh, impressive. Uh, uh, okay, think, uh, but then at that point, what's the point of the discussion? I mean, right? What, what do we do? We 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 create we we analyze, and part of what we do as scholars, especially when we're looking at narrative coherence of a plot point. If it, you know, it, it they had to get him up there and out there. It's good enough for me. I mean, how do we get <laughs> how do we get Dorothy to Oz? A fucking tornado. Yet nobody seems to question it, right? Well, well, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's a little different because uh, she's in Kansas. No, I mean, what no the fuck one, else in the house? The house the well, this is a ravaged world. But, they need to go to another right, one. Okay, but, he's a test yeah. pilot. That makes sense. <laughs> 
people aren't breaking into song either in uh in interstellar <laughs> oh, you know i mean it's a different God. genre but okay, so, you know <laughs> all right, well, but, we can bring up any movie we can do stagecoach yeah. we can do the big sleep we can do uh all the presidents man i don't care pick a film with because yeah. they're all gonna have a plot point and if we right. want to start slinging arrows at it, we're going to find problems with it. Why are you bringing this back up? That's my question. Because do I, I have to? Do I have to? Do I have to edit this and of, put it back into the discussion of Interstellar that we had an hour ago? What <laughs> legitimate criticism is of the film yeah. when they've gone to like sort of like Her- Hercules like lengths to craft a believable narrative with the with with the way science is right now, and we're going to pick on okay. They're sending him out. That's convenient, isn't it? Well, yeah. Otherwise, there's no film. <laughs> right. Okay. That's fine. All right. All right. Okay. That's fine. All right. I, just, all right. I just thought we had put this about an hour ago. That's all. <laughs> so. I, I was curious why you brought it up too, but hey, I'll, I'll, because I'll argue I, it with you all night. Because I, don't because I felt it's been, it was explained in the movie, and a lot of people didn't pick up on the fact that it's explained. Okay. Okay. That's I, fine. I, I did see it more recently than both of you. I intentionally, uh, and, and, and Eric, if you want to edit this out, that's fine. I intentionally <laughs> did not see it at the theater. Uh. I watched it on TV. Yeah, I watched it on TV. The reason I did that was because I did not, because I knew we'd be doing this podcast, and I did not want to get so wrapped up in the spectacle mm. that I missed things. It's such a good spectacle, though. Oh, I understand. <laughs> I, and I, 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 I understand. I understand. Yeah. Uh, but... Um, my choice was, okay, this is a three hour film. It's going to mm-hmm. take an investment. Do I yeah. want to watch it and have the spectacle and then potentially miss things that I wouldn't be able to contribute to the podcast? Or do I want to watch it at home on my TV and actually be able to examine things in very close detail? Pause it if I need to. Uh, I think that's a scene. bad idea, frankly, because half you know th- that's a movie that was to be experienced in the theater. I think you know, like I, Superman. Yeah. Or Star ideally, Wars. you do both. You yeah. know, like ideally, I would have rewatched the film at home after right. seeing it in the theater. You know, because I I suspect. Okay, so like just to kind of talk about the home viewing versus theater viewing, for example, I I suspect that Gravity will not hold up as well at home. It I haven't really seen. Does. Really- I, I've I haven't seen either film on at home yet, but I bet you of the two, I bet you Interstellar holds up better than Gravity. So I've watched because- Gravity on my forty two inch several times, and it's you know turn on that surround sound, and I mm. love it. Yeah, but you and I had different different views of it in the first place in the theater too, right? Because there was there's certain things that I didn't like about it. I liked it, but there were certain things that I had problems with mm-hmm. um, that you didn't. So I'm wondering if those things will be more of a problem for me when I rewatch it. You know what I mean at home. But I think with Interstellar, I, I suspect it'll probably hold up just as well. But I mean, you know, I wish I could see everything in the theater, but I can't. <laughs> well, yeah, and, 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 and I and I see what you're saying, Nick. But well, I, you, I, I, I take specifically sort of like narrowing your focus to take out part of the theater going experience. No, no. You're well, depriving yourself of something for a reason I can't fathom. Partially, well, yeah, but I take vigorous exception to that. The reason I take exception to that exception is because or vigorous exception. Both. Okay. Uh, no, I take vigorous exception to what you're saying because of the fact that I I realized that my time was limited as I was preparing for this because I had other things going on. So well, I thought, well, for like five months. What? 
It's been in the theater for probably five months, right? Well, yeah, but there were other there were there were other films that I wanted to see in the theater as well. So you know, and I don't I don't necessarily live that close to a theater that was actually showing it. So it was it was me going out of my way. So I thought, well, all right, so I can either see this in the theater. And then, yes, I'll be probably be blown away by the spectacle because I do love watching films in the theater. So I don't want you to think I don't like watching films. In the of course, I watch Jurassic Park in the theater for fuck's sake. But I also wanted to um, pay very close attention to the details of it because I know that it was a very complex film and that I was very interested in focusing on the science of it. Well, but I don't know um, if that makes I I, I, I I don't know if that makes sense. I can say that like there's an assumption that Eric and I can't watch a film closely in the theater. I don't get that. No, but you yourself just uh, Eric just said that you guys were so blown away by the spectacle that maybe there were things that you missed. I said I, I, I was. Just, I, I didn't. Right. I, I was. I was not speaking oh, right. for Nick. I was just speaking okay. for myself. I enjoyed the film greatly in the theater and, and thought that the, uh, the, the IMAX immersive experience oh, was so incredible. Great. <laughs> um, so but great. I, I don't think that I, I saw any less of it on this big screen than I would on my little one in my bedroom though. You know? Right. Yeah. Well, I'm going to watch it again. Um, one of these days at home and, and see, but, as far as plot points and everything, I don't know. I mean, I there are parts like there's there are very few parts of that movie where I looked at my watch, you know, or where I was like, that's you know the watch test, right? How, how often do you look at your watch? That's to me the test of a movie, right? Right. Yeah, that's, um, that's a good test. Yeah, I mean, I don't think I did once, you know. Um, although in retrospect, there are a couple of things that I was like, yeah, the things that draw you out of the movie, you know, and that's different for everybody. You know, and for me, the thing that drew me out a little bit was one of the speeches towards the end about love that seemed kind of forced, and the and the length of the Matt Damon scene. You know, other than that, whatever. <laughs> you know, um, but there is an intricate kind of thing going on, as Nick was saying, um, where the entire plot is propelled by the fact that he's orchestrating this from what for us is the end of the film. I'm trying to say it without giving away a lot of specifics for people who haven't seen it. Cause we've I been think that ship spoiler free. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think we've given, we haven't yeah. given any of the ending away really, you know, we kind of have, but uh, you know, but I think a lot of it is orchestrated by, by the end of the film. So I don't know. Um, okay. You know, in Chris Nolan style, the dude likes to make long movies. We have made a long podcast. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. We certainly um. have. God, almost two and a half hours. Jesus. Almost the length of Interstellar. Almost. Yeah. almost. Going on the length of, inter- of, of, of Interstellar. Dark Knight Rises. We probably got Dark Knight Rises uh, runtime here. Right. I think so. <laughs> well, I hope you enjoyed our discussion of Chris Nolan. I think we did a pretty good job of yeah. being. Uh, Pretty thorough, I think. You know, this is. uh, I think this might go down as one of our uh, certainly one of our longer, but I think one of our better podcasts. I like doing the director ones. You know, the director retrospectives or whatever. I I really enjoy doing this. So, um, I really like it when we when we staunchly disagree on certain things Mm -hmm. because I think it makes it a lot more fun. Well, it's going to be a lot more fun for the listener if we're all oh yeah, I love it. 
fest, that's going to be, you know, kind of boring. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's why it's good. To, I mean, with the three of us, it's hard to, we don't, we don't often agree. I mean, we agree on some things, but like there's something that somebody has something to nitpick and it's great. I love it. You know, I think it's, I think it's good. Uh, you can find the show notes for this at that's a rap show.com. That's a rap with a W. Uh, this is episode number 32, so just surf over to that um, and, and leave comments if you like about your favorite Chris Nolan film or your least favorite Chris Nolan film. Or I know there are a lot of Chris Nolan detractors out there, um, and if if you're one of those, just you know jump on and be like, yeah, I don't like Chris Nolan, and tell us why. Wow. I'm interested to know why you might not like him. Uh, you can also like us on Facebook and um I tell you what, uh, reviewing us on iTunes is really easy. Just go to thatsarapshow.com, <laughs> click on the iTunes, I know, click on the iTunes thing, and then just like, you know, click some stars and put a sentence in about, well, this podcast is really great or whatever. We, <laughs> that, that would be, that'd be fantastic because that keeps us, um, discoverable on iTunes and we'd really yes. appreciate your, uh, your support on that, dear listener. So again, thanks again. Again, for listening to this long episode about Chris Nolan, uh, for That's a Wrap, I am Eric Marshall. And I'm Nick Schlegel. And I'm Chris Cullen. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll see you next time. Cut. That's a wrap. Co-host, well, fuck! I was doing my thing. I was doing the thing I do for the wet. I was doing what I do for the wet podcast, which is usually I say I'm your host, Eric Marshall. <laughs> oh, it, it sounded like the uh, record warped at the end too. It was like yeah. Yeah, because I, I forgot how I t- I couldn't remember how I turned the volume down last time. I know how to, I remember now how to do it, but um, should I try that again? I guess. Yeah, sure. Okay, go for it. Welcome to That's a Wrap, episode number 32. Ah, shit. Hold on. Uh, hold on. All right, I'm going to try it one more time. If it doesn't work, I'll just do it, I'll do it in post. Take three. Yeah, take three.